Good morning. Is this okay? Okay. Good morning, everyone. You know, um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Renee and the kids and 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 myself, we we took a little family vacation uh, to the hill country of Texas, and this is outside of San Antonio. It's between San Antonio and Austin, and we had a we had a great time. Um, I think we had a great time, at least. Uh, the the kids they may tell you may tell you a little differently. Um, you know, I looked at our checklist, uh, our vacation checklist, and we hit almost everything on the checklist. Almost, almost everything. We, we rode the plane. Uh, we swam. We swam in the lake. We swam in the creek. We swam in the pool. We hiked. Uh, we went kayaking. We went sightseeing. We, we saw the Alamo. Um, we ate barbecue. Um, we played cards. We had, we had a lot of good family time. And I'm trying to convince you that we had a good time. <laughs> but um, this is what may have turned it for the kids. The internet connection where we were staying <laughs> was kind of spotty. <gasps> Talk about a crisis. Right? So like you could do all of that and then like the internet connection when you get back to the, the room is, is kind of spotty. It's like, ugh. <laughs> um, you know, but one of the things I love about uh, getting out on vacation, and uh, it takes us outside of our, our little bubble, and, and it widens our perspective on life. And just like the short-term missions teams that we've heard from, uh, Naomi House today, the Brazil team a couple of weeks ago, uh, just a different experience, and stepping out, and seeing God work in different ways. Um, and with Naomi House, I, I didn't mention, but you know, I, I, I just you know, like seeing that, that ministry in the video because you, know, you see things that, uh, that aren't typical missions stuff, like, oh, cosmetology? You know, really, like haircuts um, and, uh, and construction work, and it is whatever the Lord wants us to do. Right, and wants wants the team to do, and so um, just stepping out of that context anyway, I think is is good for us. God teaches us different things, and so Texas was differently, certainly different than um, than Southern California, but I think the biggest eye opener for us actually was when we got back to L.A. And so when we got back to L- L.A., um, we had this crazy adventure getting home. And so most people, when they go on vacation, they either leave a car at the airport, right? they put it in, in short-term parking, and then they, they get their car, or they, they catch a ride home, they get somebody to pick them up. Not us. Right? We, we had this brilliant idea that we would take the metro rail <laughs> from, from LAX back towards the Pasadena area. And so... Um, that, that really kind of went, went awry. Um, so instead of going from San Antonio Airport to LAX to driving home, uh, our, uh, our adventure at home looked like this. Okay. <laughs> um, so we went from San Antonio Airport, and my, and my daughter made this up. I said, can you do a little like, diagram of our trip home? And she goes, you mean like a treasure map? I said, yeah, like a treasure map. Like, 
And so it's San Antonio Airport here on the left. Oh, excuse me a second. Okay. San Antonio Airport here. And uh, nice flight. We're flying back. There's LAX and the spider thing. Um, and then we, so we, you know, we plan to go on the, the metro home. So we go on the shuttle from the airport to the green line. And then this is where everything starts to go crazy. <laughs> uh, we get off the green line in south central LA uh, to catch the blue line. And uh, it says, oh, the blue line station's closed at the connector. So we're like, okay. So we wait for a bus, and we, we take a bus, um, and we only thought that this first blue line station was closed. The connector blue line was closed. Um, little did we know that all the blue line stations were closed. <laughs> so we got on the bus. I look at my phone, and I, I look, and I see, okay, there's another blue line station coming up. We should get off, go to that blue line station, and then go on our way. And we go to this blue line station, and it's all locked up and chained up. Um, and this is in basically like the area known as Watts. <laughs> so we're, the green line gets off, and we get off, and it's we're like 102nd Street. And so we're in Watts, and uh, my daughter draws this street sign that shows us there walking around Watts with our, with our luggage. And we go, and we see this train station locked, and we ask the guy in the street. He goes, oh, yeah, no, this station's not open. you got to go back to the bus. So, so we walk a few blocks back, and this is about Friday night at 8 o'clock in the, in the evening. And uh, we walk back to the bus, and we wait for the bus. And at this point, I'm thinking, boy, I, I don't know how to take Uber or anything like that, but I think I need to find out. Yes. So we wait for the bus, and we catch the bus. It's a local bus, and so there are all sorts of people on it. We get on the bus, and it drives about an hour and a half to get us to downtown. <laughs> and we finally get to downtown, and then we get to the, uh, basically to the, uh, to the red line, and it takes us to Union Station, and we get on the gold line, <laughs> and then we get off at South Pasadena, and we walk to the parking garage, and then we drive home. And so what probably should have taken us maybe, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half to get home, took us about three, three and a half hours. <laughs> um, so that was, our, that was our adventure getting home from our vacation. And, uh, but on, this, you know, on this, this adventure home, we rode the train, we rode the local bus, uh, we walked around Watts with our luggage, um, and, and I think uh, this is the, the point I'm trying to make is that I think it was very eye-opening. It was very eye-opening for us and for our kids. Um, we don't, you know, we don't walk around L.A. like that. I'm sure, you know, most of you don't, don't do that. Um, and it was eye-opening to see the people, like, out on the street, to see the people on the bus, on the metro, riding the train, the poor, uh, the homeless, immigrant families, the mentally ill, a lot of mentally ill, right, riding the public transportation. And, and some of you uh, know that. Um, but to, for us to see that, and then just to be sitting there 
on the bus with them. Um, and, and for them to be asking us and talking to us about certain things and, um, you know, and to realize that uh, this, you know, and that experience is more life. Uh, more than plane rides and more than um, water parks, that this is reality. This is, this, is, this is real life. And so as we continue in the book of First Thessalonians, which is what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about some of the realities of the Christian faith. Things that we may not be aware of or things that we choose to ignore but they're clearly stated in Scripture. And I hope that in broadening our understanding, that I hope we will become better equipped to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, in the, and then next week, we're going to see um, how this Thessalonian church is doing and dealing with these things. But today we're going to look at these realities and these truths of the Christian faith. So uh, join me in a word of prayer. Father, we just pray that your word would speak to us, Lord. Uh, not my words, not human words, not our own thoughts, but your Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning. <clears throat> may your word come alive to us. May we see the things you want us to see. And may we see you, Lord, as you truly are. And may we draw near to you in worship and praise for you, in thanksgiving, in love and devotion to you, and in strength and encouragement, Lord, for our life here on earth and our life as, uh, as followers of yours. Lord, speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we uh, turn to First Thessalonians, um, I want to set the stage by looking at Acts chapter 17. And Acts 17, and Pastor Corey has mentioned this in the past messages, Acts 17 is really what tells the story of uh, Thessalonia, the, the Thessalonian church. Acts 17, 1 through 10. It reads like this. <clears throat> when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was, was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world, so they're referring to Paul and Silas, who've caused trouble all over the world, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king called Jesus. 
When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post-bond and let them go. As soon as as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So I have a, um, a map here of, um, this is Paul's second missionary journey. And Paul's second missionary journey, we see that basically, I want to show you that this is Thessalonica up here. And this is the northern part of Greece. And Paul founded this church <clears throat> on this, his second missionary journey. But we learned from Acts that he's, only to, he's able to spend only three weeks establishing this church before these, these Jews uh, create a riot. And it forces Paul and Silas to leave Thessalonica and here it says Berea, go to Berea. And so this is, uh, this is how the church of Thessalonia was born um, in Paul's second missionary journey. Paul and Silas were forced to go to Berea quickly, and it's in his deep concern for this young church which he established, which he only got to spend three weeks at, that Paul writes this letter. So this is the context for 1 Thessalonians. It's, that it's Paul's heart. What we see is Paul's heart for this small church that they would remain strong and faithful <clears throat> to Jesus. Uh, now let's turn to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'll read verses 17, from 217 through 35. It says, but since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we are with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So as the Apostle Paul, as he conveys his heart to the, uh, to the Thessalonians and for them, he touches on several truths, several realities that are important for them as young believers. And I think it's important for us as Christians to understand. And this is, this is where I'm going to draw our, our main points today. So the first is that as Christians, we have been appointed for affliction. Appointed for affliction. 
1 Thessalonians 3.3 says that Paul sent Timothy to strengthen the believers in Thessalonica so they wouldn't be shaken by their afflictions. In fact, the verse goes on to say that they were appointed for affliction. Appointed by whom? They were appointed by God. Appointed by God for affliction. See, Paul is a good pastor. Paul wants these young believers to know and to understand that as part of normal Christian life, they're destined for trials. It's like a good parent. I think of it as being a good parent or a good teacher for children. You want, you want your children to grow up over time having a sense of reality. Okay, you want them to feel safe. You want them to feel satisfied. You want them to be well-fed and to enjoy themselves. But as they grow up over time, you, we want our children to grow up with a sense of reality that life is not just always happy or fun or just the way you want it. Okay, a sense of reality of what life is truly like. And this is what Paul is doing with this young church. See, some believe if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't suffer affliction or you shouldn't suffer illness or disease or sorrow that it's not God's will. And I think it's true that there's a great deal of suffering that we could avoid by simply obeying God's word, by understanding the word of God and trying to follow it and to seek him in prayer and avoiding the sin that so easily entangles us. But some of the trials, and I think we all know this, some of the trials in our lives, they're self-induced. We create it for ourselves. When we pursue worldly things, we pursue our worldly lusts. When we set high and live for pride and live for status and live for money, when we read God's word and we understand what it says and we disregard it, in relationship, when we harbor resentment against one another or unforgiveness toward one another, we create undue, I think it's undue havoc in our lives. <clears throat> and God would want to spare us those things, those hardships. But we need to understand, we need to make no mistake that in this fallen world in which we live, Trials, afflictions, heartache, they are part of life. And we see this, and we see this in our lives, and we see this in the church. In fact, recently in, in our church family, it seems like, boy, there's been a lot of situations of people having medical, medical problems, health issues, job loss, um, financial and relational issues. And, and, and maybe I, I see some of those things as pastor, um, but I, I'm sure that you know um, of, of those things as well. And we see these things, those afflictions, those sorrows, those troubles, they are, they are part of life. 
And Paul wanted these young believers in Thessalonica to understand this reality. It says he did not want them to be moved or shaken when these things came. So trials and afflictions really should never surprise the believer. In fact, God often uses these trials. He can use these trials and sorrows to teach perseverance, obedience, a deeper fellowship with Jesus. From Isaiah 53, if you know that passage, we know that it talks about the Lamb of God and Jesus as the Lamb of God, the offering for our sins and the suffering that he went through. But we know from that passage that he's the man of sorrows. And, see, and we see this all throughout Scripture. Trials and afflictions time and time again affecting those who follow the Lord, who follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And I know this is hard, but uh, I put this in the bullet point in the outline, that in affliction, we should not lose faith. We should not lose faith in Christ's unconditional love for us, for you, and his sovereign power over all things, that Jesus is king and Lord over all things. John 16.33 summarizes this point well when Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So as believers, we have been appointed for affliction. Another reality of the faith is that we have been promised persecution. So I know that these aren't the kind of promises we usually like to hear uh, from Scripture. But we are pulling out exactly what Scripture is telling us. And it's closely related to trial and affliction in the believer's life is the reality of persecution. In the NIV translation, verse 4 that we read says, In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. So this is Paul telling the Thessalonians, we told you we were going to be persecuted, you were going to be persecuted, and that's what's happened. Now persecution is when we live for God, and that godly testimony in our lives is met with ridicule. It's met with scorn, met with discrimination, maybe even physical harm or intimidation. And it's just like what we saw in Acts 17. Like that angry mob that gathered together that forced Paul and Silas out of Thessalonica. See, the church in Thessalonica was one of the first Christian churches established by the Apostle Paul in Europe. So if you remember the map where Thessalonica is, it's in northern Greece. It's one of his first forays into Europe Uh, The church at Philippi, the church at Thessalonica are those first two churches of Christian believers he established in Europe. And so 
They were Greek Gentiles. They weren't Jews. They were Greeks. And they were the tip of the spear. Like missions into an unknown place, they were the tip of the spear of the Christian movement in Europe. So in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 14, we read, they were mocked and they were persecuted by their own people for adopting this new faith that proclaim that Jesus is king. And Paul was concerned. Paul was concerned that they would abandon their faith in the face of hostility, in the face of having seen him and Silas forced out, that they would lose their faith. They would weaken. And that's why he took time beforehand when he was with them for those few weeks to tell them that persecution would come. And we too, even for us today, we should expect to be persecuted in some, in some fashion if we are honest and open with others about our devotion to Christ. Unfortunately or sadly, persecution probably would come from those closest to us, those most near and dear to us, our family, our friends, co-workers, just like the Thessalonians who were scorned by their own people, their neighbors, their friends, their family. And this makes perfect sense because the people closest to you, the people that know you best, should know of your devotion to Christ. If it's real in your life, it should be visible to them. And if you have faith in Christ, if you have put your, uh, your life in the hands of Jesus, and you follow him as your Lord and Savior, then you belong to him. You belong to him. You're no longer of this world. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says in John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to this world, to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. <clears throat> so we have aligned ourselves with Christ. But remember, there is no greater privilege, no greater privilege than to be identified with Jesus, to be identified with Christ in life and in death. <clears throat> So affliction, persecution are both realities of the Christian life, clearly stated by the Apostle Paul and by Jesus. And the third thing and the last thing here is spiritual warfare is real. This is another reality that we often uh, ignore. And, And I certainly won't be able to do this topic justice in these few minutes, but I really just want us to see that the Christian has an enemy, an adversary in the spiritual realm. 
And it's, it's plastered all throughout Scripture. In chapter 2, verse 18, which we read, Paul says that time and again, he wanted to come back to the Thessalonians. So he was rushed out from the Thessalonian church, and he's writing back to them, and he says, I wanted to see you again. But it says, Satan hindered him. It doesn't say how, but he kept him from returning. Satan kept him from returning. Then in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul says he feared that the tempter, okay, Satan again, he feared that the tempter had tempted them away from the faith. So in these two verses, we see how real and active Satan is against the cause of Christ. In fact, we see, we get a glimpse of his strategy. Part of his strategy is to block the minister or the messenger of the gospel from coming to them. But it's also to hinder the growth of the believer. Once having received the message, to hinder the growth of the believer by tempting him or her. Tempting him or her to do what? Tempting him or her, tempting us to minimize to minimize the importance of Christ in our life or to abandon the faith completely. That's what Satan is trying to do. He tries to do that in the individual believer's life. He tries to do that in the life of the church. It's to minimize the importance of Jesus in our lives and in our midst and in the work that he would have us do. So Satan attacks. He attacks in, 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 various way, in many ways. But let me just give you three. Three that seem to me most common <clears throat> in our culture. One is sudden or extreme onslaught of various troubles and trials. This is a ruthless attack where Satan will pile on and it happens and, sometimes, and you may know that experience, that it may be physical problems, health issues, it may be financial, it may be sorrow and loss in your life, and it gets piled on, and it's heavy, and it's, it, it weighs. And it may seem like it comes out of nowhere. It's one thing after another. Job, in the Old Testament, Job is our an example of this, right? One tragedy after another. And this may be a sign of spiritual attack. The second is increased temptation towards sin or wrong choices. Though we all live with daily struggles and temptations, and 1 Corinthians tells us this is common to man, sometimes there are attacks that put us at greater risk to go astray. And we have an adversary, an enemy, who is looking to do that in our lives. And that's why Scripture says, do not give the devil a foothold. And so this increased temptation, it may be a leading, a leading toward things that we know are wrong. A leading to things that we know will enslave us or create sinful habits 
or a leading in our lives that will damage long-term relationships, break up families, break up friends, walk away from the church. Increased temptation towards sin and wrong choices is, is another form of spiritual attack. And the third is feelings of overwhelming despair, darkness, and fear. And while we may struggle, you and I, we may struggle with various levels of anxiety and of depression, spiritual attack can raise the intensity on these things, the intensity of these things, to such a heightened degree that one feels like giving up. You feel all alone. You feel like, I can't go further or I can't take this. That those may be signs of spiritual attack. This is spiritual warfare that we're talking about. And I know this topic, um, this is not the normal topic that you know I would want to preach on I, it is what I draw from scripture from this passage and I know it can be unsettling and with spiritual warfare it is not about giving the devil more attention or being preoccupied with satanic forces or the evil things taking place it's making ourselves aware just as Paul was doing with the church that these things exist, that there is a spiritual battle taking place, and that God is at work. God is at work renewing and reconciling things, and Satan is trying, he is trying to oppose that. He is trying to resist that. It's making ourselves attentive to what God is doing to call upon his authority and to stand firm. to remember that Satan's power is limited. Christ has defeated him at the cross. And Christ is making all things new. And he will reconcile all things to himself. And he will make all things right, as we've seen in 1 Thessalonians, when he returns. And this is the good news, that God is at work doing these things in our lives, in our church, in the world, and yet there's still an enemy trying to nip and trying to um, distract and trying to move us away. And so for us today, I just want to leave with the, the encouragement, the bullet points uh, down at the bottom of your, your outline. For us today, there is power. There is power in the Holy Spirit which indwells each believer. And there's a power in you and through the Holy Spirit that is much greater than Satan. There's power in God's word to read and to meditate and to take in God's word and to try to understand and to apply it in your life. God's word is the sword of the Spirit to combat the enemy's lies. There's power in the body of Christ. There's power in the church, in the church family, to be in fellowship, to be in devotion, to be united with one another. 
There's power for love, for accountability, for support. And there's power in prayer and in praise. Calling upon the Lord and inviting His presence into your life and coming before Him. That there is power. James 4, 7 talks about submitting yourselves to God, resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. And so I want to encourage you to walk in the power that God gives. And and we can be confident that God is always with us, leading our way, covering us from behind. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So in this passage, we see these realities, we see these obstacles, if you will, facing this young Thessalonian church. Things which Paul, as a good pastor, wanted to make sure that they were aware of. But he was concerned. He was concerned that their faith would be weakened since he couldn't be with them. They're not the blessings, at least this part of the scripture, they're not the blessings we normally would like to focus on, but they are part of our Christian faith and our life. In chapter 3, we see that he sends Timothy to strengthen and encourage them so that they would not be shaken. And I'll just tell you that even though Satan hindered Paul, Paul eventually got back to the Thessalonians because Satan cannot keep God's work from happening. But in this meantime, he sent sent Timothy in chapter 3 to strengthen and encourage them. And this is my heart. This is my heart for you, for us is that you would walk with the Lord. And as you face affliction and maybe persecution, spiritual warfare, that you would find strength and encouragement to stand strong and to live lives, as the verse at the bottom says, 1 Thessalonians 1.12, to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and for the words of Paul. And here in 1 Thessalonians, Lord, uh, sobering words and thoughts. Um, But we thank you Father, that you are honest with us and that you want to prepare us so that we can stand strong. And I pray for our church family 
And I pray for all those, Lord, who hear this message that, that you would help us to stand strong. Lord, at times we are so weak. We feel so weak. We feel uh, such the, the onslaught and the overwhelming um, difficulties and problems and, and, and struggles in our lives. Lord, and we know that we cannot work our way out of it. We cannot stand on our own. So we come to you, Lord, and we ask that you would help us by your mercy and your grace and your sovereign power that you would strengthen us as believers to walk day by day. Take one day at a time, Lord, to walk day by day with you and that you would continue to to work, Lord, just wonderful things that you're doing in our lives and in the life of um, each person here. So I pray your hand of blessing and and your power and strength for them this week. Um, And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for winning the victory at the cross, for being our Lord and Savior, our Messiah and King. We thank you, and we uh, humbly come, and we worship you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.